0: Hey, guys, post-editing Gotis here. Um, I mentioned in this podcast that I record with PodCastle and they have released some new editing stuff. And I was excited to try it out. And overall, I'm very happy with it. But I did do some experimentations with the editing of the sound levels. So for most of the podcast, they are a consistent level. They are a little lower than normal. But I think the overall quality is a lot better. You guys let me know. But starting at about the eight-and-a-half, nine-minute mark, there is a 20-minute segment where it is a little bit louder. I tried doing my audio steps backwards to see if it made a bigger difference. It's certainly louder, but I don't think it's as clear. So just a heads up, at that point, it might get a little bit louder. It lasts about 19 minutes if you don't think it sounds great. Um, you could skip ahead, but hopefully it's not unbearable. I think it's okay. I just don't think it's as clear. But let me know what you guys like better. The first half, the first third, that middle part, or the last third. Uh, what sounds best to you guys? All right. Enjoy. What is up everybody? Welcome to episode five? Are we five episodes in? Pretty sure we're five episodes in. This might be four. You'd think I'd have that information handy. You'd think I would know how many times I've done this, but uh, you'd be wrong. Welcome everybody to the Dork Depot. I am your host, Matthew Go to Sarachi. Thank you so much for tuning in with us again. Um really excited about the episode I got for you guys today. I actually tried to record this earlier and i recorded it really late at night and i take allergy medicine i have terrible allergies and you can tell the allergy meds were uh wearing off and i was just i was really nasally and like i already don't sound great to listen to on a daily basis as it is so anything beyond that i figured is probably not okay and i also i use podcastle for uh for my recordings and Uh, PodCastle updated their uh, editing suite a little bit, so I'm excited to try that. Hopefully it sounds really good. Uh, So today's going to be kind of a fun episode. This is the uh, post-Francation episode. Um, Me and all of my friends, we get together, my online friends, we all get together every year, meet up. have a great time. We did some really cool stuff. Everybody kind of takes a turn to host it, um, since we all live in different parts of the country. Uh, So first year, we were in North Dakota. Second year, uh, everyone came out to Arizona to see me. And now this year, we all went out to the Seattle area uh, to see Skippy and Kadogger. And um, they hosted us, and they were wonderful hosts. I thank you both so much. Uh, We had a wonderful time. Everybody really enjoyed it. Uh, Great friendcation. A lot of fun, a lot of good food, a lot of beer. Um, Skippy brews beer. So I... um, I drank a lot of his beer. I drank a lot of keg beer at the Skippy household. It was very good. We also, also, we also um, ran a and d one-shot. I ran a D&D one-shot for my friends at the hotel. I traveled with a, with a backpack with all my D&D stuff, which both flying to Seattle and flying from Seattle, TSA, did not like for some reason. Uh, They were very concerned as to why I had a backpack that weighed so much and was, they couldn't x-ray it. It was so dense with all the books in it. So they kept pulling my books out and going through all of them. It actually caused a, a friendly fight amongst TSA employees at the Phoenix airport where one guy immediately recognized like the dice and everything in the backpack and that they were books and the one lady didn't believe him. So she was like tearing everything out and he's like, see, I told you is, it was entertaining. And then I also, I travel with a, a wallet ninja. If you're not familiar with what a wallet ninja is, it's a little metal. It's like the size of a credit card, a little bit bigger. And it's like a little multi-tool. It's got some like different um, size hex uh, on it, like a bottle opener, a little uh, flathead screwdriver corner just like a couple of little miscellaneous tools. They're really nice. I I use it predominantly as a realtor. If I'm showing a house to a client and if there's like a sticky door or a panel that we need to get into just to see what's behind it, I've got something that works. But you also get with it uh, a little travel knife and the travel knife is super handy. I use it all the time. And I used to fly with it everywhere. I've flown with that thing a thousand times. It's like a, probably a two inch knife that folds up into a credit card and TSA has never noticed it. Well, the last time I flew, when I flew to North Dakota, they found it uh, for the first time ever. So I decided not to travel with it because I, they made me throw it out. I have a couple of them, but I didn't want to keep losing them. So I left it at home, but I still had my wallet ninja tool in my wallet. I also have a Naruto wallet. It's got the... I'm I'm a total fucking dork, by the way. It also has the... It has, like, a metal headband piece on the wallet. It's the Hidden Leaf Village headband. So, in Seattle, when my wallet ran through the x-ray machine, the guy saw the multi-tool, and he assumed I had the knife in there somewhere. So he pulled it apart. Like, he wanted to go through my wallet. And he's like, uh, whose wallet is this? I'm like, mine. It gave me a really weird look. I don't know why. And so he started going through it. And then he's like, do you have a wallet ninja? I was like, yeah, I have the tool part. I don't have the knife part, though. I took it out. And then he like pulled the wallet ninja out. And then he held up my wallet. And he goes, look, it's a wallet ninja in a ninja wallet. And then handed it all back to me. And I was like, wow, that guy has been... Working on that joke this whole time. So kudos to the Seattle TSA guy for coming up with that one and made my day. Um, It's it's a dad joke if I ever heard one, and I appreciated the hell out of it. So that was that that part of the trip. But yeah, so I ran a one-shot for my friends at the hotel. And I wanted to do kind of a post-mortem about it a little bit. Talk about a couple of mistakes that I made and some challenges that I ran into running this one shop and how I adapted it for a large number of players I also will teach you guys how I try to dm as lightly as possible I really don't like to hold my players hands I want them to do all of the weird things that they want to do because it's their game the only thing my job the only thing that I'm responsible for is to make sure that they stay within the confines of that game parameter whatever that may be so (laughs) we ran um i told you guys prior to leaving also if you're any of my friends and you're listening you're okay to listen to this the only thing we're going to talk about is what you missed or what you did versus what you could have done but we're not going to talk about anything we haven't gotten to yet in the campaign so i want to make that clear not gonna be deep diving into what's coming up in the campaign this is a strictly a post-mortem on everything that we had already done um so don't worry about spoilers or anything like that there there's nothing you need to to worry about there um we'll talk about the mistakes that i made the decisions that i chose uh in a certain point how i ran it the villain um the purpose of the one-shot. We're going to talk about all that stuff. So uh, the the one-shot comes from XP to level three. If you're not familiar with them, it's a group of D&D players. Uh, there's a YouTube channel for them, XP to level three. And they are, they created this phenomenal uh, Questonomicon book. Um, I bought the whole kit. Came with maps, came with tokens, DM screen, cards, like everything you need to run it other than dice essentially and one of the things that i really like about it is it gives you some character hooks and motivations to tie into the storyline because it's hard if you're running this as a one shot really hard for players to get invested into their characters in ways because they know okay we're just going to run this you know one two session one shot And that's it. Like, uh, there's nothing, there's no overarching story for my character. It's just this little pre-written story. So, I, the first thing I did was I used some of their motivations and hooks. And I used some that I made up on my own. And I just wrote them out on pieces of paper. And I put them in a hat. And everybody had to draw one. And for some of them, they're not really obtainable necessarily. Uh, Others are. But the point of it was to give you something else to roleplay towards. And I think that worked really, really well. I've, you know, it, people were invested in those. And I would say one of them is probably more of an overarching story throughout it. And um, the player that got that seemed to really dig the the one or two little clues towards it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about where I added those because they're not in the original campaign. It's something I all made up on the fly. The first thing that the book guides you through is picking a villain. Uh, Each campaign has two, maybe even three villains to choose from. They play out relatively the same, but they are different. So in my case, uh, we ran Rosewood's Invitation. It's a very gothic horror, trapped in a house with a vampire kind of thing. The villains are Althea Rosewood, which is who we used, and I like that it gives you gives you the subtleties that you need to play towards. And in case you want to know, Althea Rosewood is a vampire empress, uh, and she aims to turn any adventure coming near uh, into vampire spawns. There's a little more to it, but I'm not going to say anything because that would be choose Althea as your villain if you want a vampire a vampiric, more traditionally power-hungry villain. There's also Catalina Rosewood, who's a werewolf, and it's got some other stuff here about her. Choose Catalina as your villain if you want a more emotional motivation behind your villain's destructive desires. I opted to go with Optia. I thought, one, thematically, I think she was just a little more interesting, but two, I didn't want my players to get overly invested in any kind of emotional villain you know a morally gray villain because i know them well enough to know that they will try and save and or seduce everything and anything so i opted to go with the vampire out there and uh it worked really well right off the bat (laughs) right off the bat the purpose of the one shot you get into the home, a guard come and takes everything that you have. They take your weapons, they take your arrows, your bows, your spellcasting focuses. They take everything. Uh, unfortunately for me, my, my druid in the party, she was able to smuggle her druidic focus through. <laughs> she, she made a sleight of hand check for it and succeeded. So uh, they had that and then also... Uh, The rogue was able to get one of his daggers through. So they weren't completely unarmed, which worked pretty well for them. The purpose of the one-shot is to get locked in. Right off the bat at the table, there's an extra NPC who gets frustrated, bangs his hand on the table, cuts his hand on the knife, sends Althea into a blood rage, and then she just attacks him, kills him. The book... Makes it very clear to make it very clear to your party that this is not a battle they can win. So, in that scene, I had Leo, who is the NPC, stab Lady Rosewood, and it just did nothing. It the knife just bent. It did nothing. And this is like a very strong work warrior type character. Then the party gets like a turn or two, you roll initiative, party gets a turn or two while she continues to drain the body uh, to give them an opportunity to run. And this is immediately where my party became my party <laughs> because, of course, when you think that there is one obvious move to make, um, you could count on my friends to not do that and lo and behold they did not um (laughs) they didn't do it at all the move is to run out of the dining room into the foyer and then discover the door is locked and it should be pretty obvious that your only way to go is upstairs and upstairs is the player's gear there is a record player that you can use to lure her to the upstairs so you could sneak back it downstairs. My players went into the kitchen, effectively isolating themselves, which had its merits, but because only a few of them went in there and a few of them went to the foyer, they split up. It instantly created a very real problem for me as a DM now the book tells you that there is like one or two mirrors large mirrors that are covered up in the foyer i unfortunately made it i think three or four mirrors three mirrors i think is what i put in there and i made them smaller and that was my first mistake because i didn't count on my party working so well together (laughs) on this so there's a fourth mirror surface in the kitchen that they found uh there's a point in the the story where during dinner a servant brings out a plate the plate is a silvered metal plate and it's got a purpose for both catalina and Althea rosewood so they had the plate they had the four mirrors that they three mirrors from the foyer and then they started bringing them everywhere that they went. And it started to create a very serious problem for me. Because in the book, it doesn't really say that they're movable. It doesn't say that they're not either. So on the fly. So I immediately, I let them move them and take them with them. That might have been a mistake. And maybe I could have handled it a little bit differently. And I'll, I'll we'll get to how I fix the problem eventually. But you can effectively force her out very quickly with these mirrors because she has this aversion to not having a reflection, being a vampire. So anytime you hold a mirror up to her, she's so ashamed that she doesn't have a reflection that she basically runs away from it. And if you do this few or three times, she disappears uh, and goes somewhere else in the mansion. My party would just surround her with mirrors. Um, (laughs) So it was quite difficult to chase them around the house like i wanted um we didn't (laughs) they did a very good job of moving these mirrors everywhere they went and forming very tight groups covered with mirrors everywhere i think what i should have done is made the mirrors heavier and i i did make it that you couldn't hold a large weapon. I did let one player hold an improvised piece of glass that they broke out of a mirror. Uh, That was probably a mistake altogether to let them do that. Not that it would have mattered in terms of a weapon. Silver as a weapon or mirror as a weapon was pointless. It really wouldn't have done anything. It's more along the lines of the the, the reflection itself. So... As they move these mirrors, I should have made it encumbered. I should have made it so they had half movement in battle um, or in general. I also should have made them roll. I think this is what I would have done differently. I would have had them roll moving upstairs with the mirrors because moving a large mirror by yourself upstairs in a very dimly lit house is that you're not familiar with would have been a really opportune way to break some mirrors. You know what I mean? I definitely could have gotten rid of some mirrors that way. What I ended up doing is having the guard from earlier who typically will not attack the party. The guard doesn't want to attack the party. The guard wants the party to ignore her and for her to ignore the party. That's what she desires, that's the only other person in the house is the guard and the carriage driver that locks them in the house. Uh, Zenric is his name. I added a third person, which was the servant. The servant normally just disappears. And I decided to add her. She was upstairs with the guard and she was the, the spawn and the guard was the guard uh, f- to make some distinction. And, Predominantly, what I wanted was I wanted a crossbow user, proficient crossbow user to shoot these mirrors. And that's what I ended up doing. Uh, So I did get rid of two of the mirrors through this improvised combat that I initiated with the party. Um, One of the things that you can do as as a DM, you don't, your party doesn't know if you're adding or subtracting. They have no idea. They are seeing this. For the first time, they have not read these stories. They have not read the books. They haven't read the encounters. They don't know how they're supposed to go. You can change anything you want on the fly. Just make sure that it's consistent. So I let them move the mirrors. I realized it was a mistake. I didn't say, okay, you actually can't move the mirrors anymore. I didn't come up with, oh, the mirrors are actually now magical and you can't move them. I just had to come up with a clever way that seemed natural into the fit, you know, into the setting. To break of the mirrors which is what we did um one of the other things that my party did which was kind of funny uh there's a series of checks you can make at dinner and i let my party roll really anything they want to roll if they want to roll insight if they want to roll religion they can ask to roll anything you know i, I want to make a, a history check on this okay then roll roll it for me what do you got And, um, you know, if it's not important, then I'll just keep it vague. And if there is something specific I need to convey to them, I can use those opportunities to. They rolled a survival check. Um, Let's see. It was uh, Alwyn. Rolled the survival check. uh, Discovered there was bloodstains on the floorboards. I think it was Kiga. Rolled an investigation. Discovered... Uh, all the car, all the uh, carpets match the drapes. That's what I wanted to say. All the curtains in both rooms were very thick blackout curtains that let no sunlight in. Uh, Atilia rolled a perception check that she made, uh, realizing that there's no guards anywhere in the house except for the one that took their armor, um, which is kind of weird. That you know, like this prestigious lady doesn't have more of an armed presence ring. Ironically, nobody rolled an insight check, uh, which would have revealed some cold confidence, I suppose you could say, behind uh, Lady Rosewood's words when she says or avoids certain things, because she's really not keen on talking about why she brought the party there. Everybody in the party gets a letter, hey, Lady Rosewood wants to see you, for a job but anytime you ask her about the job she just kind of pushes it to the back burner because all she's trying to do is turn you into a vampire or into a spawn uh so that was that was kind of funny to me that i felt like maybe there was a key check there that they didn't make yeah so i over mirrors uh allowed them to move them so that was an issue i did allow my players uh when she disappeared i had an internal clock running basically of approximately how long lady rosewood would would regroup for before she would show back up and i tried to use her in a jaws way where the enemy you don't see is scarier than the enemy you see and so that was a big emphasis for me on this i wanted them to know she was around but not know where she was and i think that worked really well um The party then dismantled the dining room chairs to make steaks, which I love the moxie there. Uh, That being said, wooden steaks don't work on a full health vampire. It's uh, doesn't work that way. Sorry guys, but I did let them make them and I did let them attack with them at one point before they had weapons and I let it do damage, but I felt like that was really the most effective way I, you know, my players are really proud of the fact that they came up with this idea to sit there and sharpen wooden stakes and it wouldn't have taken very long to make a crude wooden stake out of a chair leg. So I let them do it. And uh, you know, they got rewarded for it. They felt like they had some merit because they were able to damage her when they didn't have weapons. So that's what we did. Um, additionally, speaking of improvised weapons, Attilia has a homebrew spell that we made for another campaign with a lot less players and we converted it over to this and i very quickly realized it was extremely strong uh, but it was poison based so i was like well pretty sure vampires uh, would be resistant to poison damage so she was um sorry Atelia, love you and it might work later though once you get a little stronger you know a couple of things they never did I put a lot of emphasis on a basin in the kitchen. I pointed it out several times. Nobody drank from it. I'm a little disappointed. Um, they would have gotten a pretty nice uh, advantage buff for for drinking out of that basin. But nobody wanted to drink out of it, so it's fine. Glad I put all the extra emphasis on it, guys. Thank you. Uh, additionally, there were two spots in the house that were never checked One had a necklace that was worth 110 gold, which is pretty substantial, uh, but not hypercritical. The other place that they didn't check had a compass that doesn't point north. And if you're listening to this and you're one of my party members, you're like, no, what do you think? We got that. You got it because I moved the location of it like three times because you guys kept not searching where you needed to for it. Uh, So... I did have to kind of move that to another drawer that they checked. I wouldn't have normally been where it was. Um, It doesn't make a big difference. It is just funny to me that my players specifically are usually very thorough about investigating rooms and checking for stuff. And they miss this compass that essentially they need. Um, You know, I... I would have made do if they had not found it, but it'll it'll make my job easier that they had it. Um, other than that, was there anything else really? Oh, they found a coin. They found a two-headed uh, or a, a coin that had heads or tails on it. It was intricately described, and it was very ominous. This coin, and one of my players wanted to pick it up and flip it. The coin has no whatsoever on anything. Uh, It's actually only used if you have Catalina as a villain. But I misread the line and I put the coin into the campaign. I normally wouldn't have ever even been there. But I put this coin in there anyways. I made her roll like so many D20s about basically just being 50-50 on what happens. Like when she picks the coin up, when she puts it on her hand, when she flips it, I had her call it And then I rolled to see what the coin actually landed on. And then it all ended in the culmination of, okay, it landed on Tails. You were right. And then just like this awkward silence. And then she's like, oh. And then she just puts the coin in her pocket and leaves. I love moments like that when players are confident that something is going to do something. And it doesn't. I love that just as much as when you catch them off guard entirely. I think that builds up to, oh my God, I found this coin. What is it going to do? I want to do this. And then nothing happens is a lot of fun, especially because you can always add functionality to it later uh, just because they picked it up and used it right away. doesn't mean anything. Right. So you can always add, you know, you have attunement mechanics, um, identification mechanics, unlocking magical properties mechanics. There's a lot of different things you could do with that if you ever wanted to reward a player with it, uh, but still have some fun with them in the interim. Um. The two the two villains that I or NPCs that I spawned upstairs, the guard, which was Sylvia, and then the spawn of vampire, which I asked my players if they remembered her name. I knew it started with an S. And the only answer I got back was from Iodan, who called her sex spot one. So Sylvia and sex spot one for now on are what they're going to be called. Um, because The party typically doesn't kill Sylvia. There's no reason to. The party was kind of aggro, though, and I needed Sylvia to destroy the mirrors, so she came out of the room just firing, like, blasted these mirrors. I then convey very quickly, like, she wants to run away. You can see the fear in her eyes. She's just trying to back up. She's just trying to get away. And my party made... A gruesome killing blow on her. I always let my players, or usually let my players, make their own killing blows um, when they get an NPC or villain or monster down to zero hit points. Um, I let them kind of describe their own attack. It's actually something I learned from my buddy Goto DMing, which I thought was a really cool touch to let players illustrate their characters a little bit better. Needless to say, this was a brutal, head-crushing, eyes-popping-out uh, blow on this terrified guard only to find a um a picture of her and her daughter and how she misses her and can't wait for her to come home and there's nothing better than guilting murder hobos it's a very powerful technique you can't use it all the time because it'll start to lose meaning but Sometimes it's a good way to teach a party that there are consequences beyond what you think. Even though this is a guard and she's working for this vampire, she's not a vampire herself. She's not in this spawn of, you know, Althea vampire-esque form like the other NPC is. She's clearly here because she has to be here. And it makes sense. You know, a vampire would need humanoids around. Uh, Zenric is another example. Zenric isn't a vampire. Zenric just has a close bond with the family. And he serves her faithfully. In exchange, she doesn't turn him. And that's kind of the same deal that Sylvia has as her guard of this mansion. That being said, my party killed her and that's okay. That's their, their choice to do so. But sometimes you want to emphasize these little moments and you can always do something with them later down the road where if you need an NPC or you need a side mission, maybe they run into Sylvia's daughter or something like that, or maybe she finds out who killed her mom and. Becomes a very powerful villain down the road for another campaign one day. Um, I love doing little callbacks to one-shots in campaigns. I think that's fun for players when it, like, dawns on them like, oh my god, that was from that two years ago. We did that one-shot. I think that's a lot of fun, and I think it's really rewarding for players. So, yeah, uh, nothing like a good guilt trip, especially to Atelia. That's fun. Additionally, because I know my players well, you're supposed to You're supposed to escape by getting the key from Zenric. Zenric runs away. Zenrik is a halfling. Alwyn is a ranger who hates short races. Halflings, gnomes, dwarves, a lot of them. He's basically a racist, that's what I'm saying. Which is a fun mechanic to roleplay, by the way. Try it. You know, don't make it. Hurtful, but just make it fun. There's a way to do it. All in did it. He sees this tiefling come out of the room, full sprint, and just murked the ever loving shit out of him. Zero reason to do so, by the way. It was a really great moment. um Speaking of murder hobos. So, yeah, I, my party, they tend to overstay their welcome. They tend to kill everybody. Hopefully, I can curtail that a little bit, but we'll see. Once you leave the mansion, if you're going to continue the campaign, which we are, the party should run out of the mansion and into the town and hide in one of the buildings nearby. That's what should happen. I know my party so well, I left the carriage outside, which normally you would use to end the campaign entirely. But I knew that if they had to walk more than 10 feet, they were going to get sidetracked. So I literally left the carriage there for them to get in and take them to the town. Uh, even though the town is like right there. Um, but I didn't know any other way to make sure my players left. So that's what I ended up doing. So that was uh, everything on that. I uh, hope you guys liked that little post-mortem. If you guys liked that want to hear more about some D&D stuff I've ran or breakdowns on DD stuff i'm always happy to do that i try not to make this a DD focused podcast or just a boulders Gate podcast as it had been the last few times uh additionally speaking of other video games though we got big news to talk about guys the mob vote for minecraft is out all three choices we have a crab a penguin and an armadillo uh, the crab has a claw that lets you place blocks further the armadillo drops an armor for your pet wolf And the penguin lets your boat move faster. Um, So I guess it's kind of like a dolphin's grace. I like visually penguins, I think, are really cool. Um, I think people will probably go crab, though, because anything that makes a building easier is always going to probably get a mountain part of the vote. I think I like that it's all three regular animals. Um, as opposed to like sniffers and copper golems and stuff, which are cool. I do like just some more ambient passive mobs, I think are really cool in the environment. So let me know what you guys think. Uh, the armadillo, I like the idea of having armor for your pet and like customizing your pet more. But let's be honest, nobody uses pets in Minecraft for extensive combat for anything, they're very quickly outpaced by enchanted bows and swords so i just don't see the practicality there the penguin again you know and we'll see i getting around by boat is always nice but being able to place box a little bit further i think probably will win out um it is they're all cute mobs though i'll give it that so we got that going um And that's really it for gaming news. Uh, I didn't have a lot to go over this month, or this week, I should say. I'm still trying to get these out fairly consistently. Um, What do I got going on? Let's talk about GOTUS a little bit. It's looking like, for the first time in, god, I don't know, five years, (laughs) my wife's schedule is going to be consistent. Uh, For those that don't know, the Lady GOTUS uh, works in, uh, the ER, she's a PA and her schedule is always very hectic. She works overnights and it's all over the place. Every month we live very much by a month by month schedule, you know, okay, here's your next month's schedule. And then we figure out what we're going to do. Um, she's been there now. She's the longest tenured PA and gets to, uh, pick up the good set schedule now so she's actually going to have a set schedule which gives me friday saturday sundays essentially off and i use that term in quotations off of being a single parent <clears throat> she'll be home she can hang with the kids while i record an episode or potentially even maybe start a D campaign and when it's consistent and you know that you could every saturday or every sunday it makes a really big difference so very cool uh very excited about that also a recipe for you guys i told you guys i was going to try and do a recipe um do a little cooking for dummy segment on each one and i've got a really good recipe for you guys today it's not my make all the time it's something i just made and it's broccoli cheddar soup now i'm not a broccoli cheddar soup fan i'm actually a very picky eater if i go to a restaurant I don't know what's in stuff, and it's not like I'm worried about bad food. I just... I like to know what I put in my food and how it's going to taste and how it's going to be texturally, and you don't always get that. So if you go to, like, Panera or St. Louis Breadco, I'm dating myself, and you get broccoli cheddar soup, I, I would never order. I would just never order it. I'll never eat it. But I'll make my own broccoli cheddar soup and I'll eat the shit out of it, and I think a lot of people that are picky eaters... I think if they cooked more would help them get over it because you could learn what ingredient at a time, like what it tastes like, what it does for the food, how it cooks into the food and that sort of thing. So that's my advice for picky eaters. This is great because this is very easy to pre-prep and you can cook whenever you want. You can also make a very large batch of it. It's easy to make a large quantity of this it heats up really nicely just in the microwave um, which is you know if you're a busy person you're meal prepping or you're trying to make a nice lunch to bring to work or something that's usually what you're resorted to so the first thing you need is four tablespoons of butter now I'm going to give you rough estimates I typically scale everything up but I'll give you kind of the rough estimates of everything Four tablespoons butter. Anytime I say you're cooking with butter, I'm talking about good European butter, um, like Kerrygold or something like that. European butter is distinctly different than American butter, and any major supermarket will have it. I go to my Kroger brand f- uh, store, Fry's here in Arizona, and I can get, there's like three different versions of it. They have salted and unsalted. T- typically, I use salted butter. For this recipe specifically, I use unsalted butter because anytime I'm cooking with a lot of cheese, cheese is very salty inherently. So I, I like to have a little more control over the salt content going into my food. Um, you need half of a medium size or large yellow onion, and you want to chop that up. Uh, When you're chopping vegetables, chop them to the texture you like. For me, I do like a dice. So the small, you know, think tiny little squares of onions. It still gives you all the flavor, but it's not a giant chunk of onion, which for me is really key because I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old that eat what we eat, and I want them to try and get those vegetables and stuff. So hiding them is sometimes a necessity. Three cloves of garlic, I use about nine. Uh, Four tablespoons of flour, two to three cups of vegetable stock, one teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of cracked black pepper, a quarter teaspoon-ish of nutmeg. Very optional, but I think is a very nice touch. One to two large heads of fresh broccoli, and you're going to want to chop that up to whatever consistency you want. Again, for me... I chop my broccoli up pretty extensively. There's not really big chunks, but you want a big enough piece that you could like bite into it and be like, okay, this is broccoli. Also, when you chop it up smaller, it just cooks faster. So it makes that a little easier. Uh, One large carrot, or you could just get one cup of the shredded carrot. Um, I just get the little bag of shredded carrots. It's a lot easier. And yeah, you want to use about a cup or so. But if you get a large carrot, you just want to run it over a cheese grater and grate it up. Or chop it up however you want. Uh, 16 to 32 ounces of cheddar cheese. When I say cheddar cheese, I'm not talking about shredded cheddar cheese. I'm talking about a block of good cheddar cheese that you are going to grate yourself. I get three blocks. They're eight ounces a piece. That seems to be the right amount of cheesiness for me based on the liquid that I put in. Uh, And then also two cups, half and half. You could use heavy cream um, if you want it a little thicker, but for me, it's a soup, and I want my soup to be soupy, not dips. So I use half and half as opposed to heavy cream here. Hey, here's all you're going to do. The thing I love about this is you could prep everything. You chop everything up ahead of time. Shred all your cheese ahead of time. This is a recipe. Um, mis- what is it? Miso everything in place. Very, very helpful. You want to get everything chopped up, ready to go, I typically will chop everything up, grate all the cheese, grade my, I use a grater for my garlic microplaner to make like a paste, I put them all in little bowls or Ziploc bags, get everything done. And then when I cook, I could just put ingredients in one at a time. I have my four tablespoons of flour in a little bowl. I have my half and half in a little bowl, everything ready to go. Does it make more dishes that way? Yeah, it does a little bit more. Does it make cooking really freaking easy, though? Yes, and that's far more important to me. Whole recipe takes about an hour to come together um, if you really want everything to develop, but you could do it quicker than that if you so desire. Also, make sure you get bread if you want bread bowls or just a big loaf of bread um, that you could throw into the oven and get hot before you serve it, and I'll I'll tell you when you should do that. In a large pot, I just melt the butter down. Once the butter is all melted and it's hot, I throw the onions in, the diced onions, and I just cook those onions for two minutes or so, three minutes, get a little caramelization going on on them. Um, Not even fully caramelized, just a little color. Then I add in the garlic. Garlic cooks very fast, and it can burn very quickly. Keep it stirring. Cook it for about two minutes, one to two minutes tops. After that, you want to put in the flour. Put in a little bit at a time. And what you're doing is you're making a roux, essentially, here. As you add the flour, if you're using, like, a wooden spoon, um, a whisk might be better here as you're adding in the flour. And you want it to come up to, like, a a paste, almost like a Play-Doh consistency of all the garlic, onion, and flour and butter all binding together. It should be fairly dry at that point. And you want to just cook that out a little bit. You want that flour to actually cook. That'll get rid of, like, the floury taste if you've ever, like, taken a bite into pizza that was, like, undercooked and the dough is, like, very flat, almost bitter. It's because, like, a big spot of flour didn't get cooked on it. Uh, then you add in your two cups of uh, vegetable stock. And I like to have a little extra here, and I'll tell you why when I get to it. But, yeah, I do the two cups vegetable stock. And then you can start mixing it all up and breaking it all apart again, which I know sounds weird that you're combining everything with the flour and then breaking it all up when you add in the vegetable stock. Then you can add your seasonings, your salt, pepper, nutmeg. Give all this a really good mix. Let it sit for a minute. And you can give this a taste as is. If your base is good, then you know going forward the rest of your soup is going to be good. If you taste this now and it's awful, then you know you might need a little more salt or a little more stock or something like that. So give it a little taste. Then you could put in all your broccoli and carrots. For me, I put in the broccoli, the carrots, and then I add a stock to cover because I typically do a lot more carrot and uh, broccoli than what I'm giving you. So I'll just add more stock until it's fully covered or almost fully covered. That way everything cooks evenly in the pot without burning. And then you're going to let that go for about 20 minutes or so, giving it an occasional stir. Um, So I basically I'll bring it to a boil and then I bring it all the way down to like a simmer and then just let it go 20 minutes and start mixing it up and stuff. After about 15 minutes, this is when you could preheat your oven, preheat your oven to like 350, 400 degrees. And then after about 15 minutes, so when there's about five minutes left, I'll put my bread in Um, because the bread is already cooked. I get like just a loaf of bread. I just put it in the oven, give it five to ten minutes because you're almost done here at this point. Then I add in my half and half after it's cooked, 20 minutes or so. I add half and half in. I'll do two cups, maybe a little bit more. I'm looking for color here. I don't want it to be too white in color, my soup base. Um, so just add a little bit at a time, mix it all up. And then... You could start adding in your cheese. Uh, With your cheese, and what I do is I add in my my half and half. I let it cook for a minute because I want that half and half to come up to temp, which lets me melt my cheese easier as I add it in. If you dump all the cheese in at once, you're going to have a hell of a time mixing it all. I do about a handful at a time. I just grab a handful, throw it in, mix it up. Let it all dissolve, melt down, add another handful. As you're doing that, every so often, just get a spoon. Give it a taste, give it like a pull, kind of, and you could see how soupy or dippy it is. And by dip, I mean if it's like a cheese dip and it's very solid, then you don't have a soup. You might need to add more liquid. Um, Don't add any more cheese. Hopefully that makes sense. And then you're done. Uh, I just let that all cook for another minute or two after everything's added. Get it out. You could serve it in the bread bowl or in just a regular bowl with some nice bread on the side. You could put a little extra cheese on top. Uh, with some fresh cracked pepper for a nice little plating. And you got a uh, wonderful, delicious, healthy broccoli cheddar soup. One of the reasons I love this recipe is because I eat so much meat, I try to have a vegetarian meal once a week. If I could do that, I feel like I'm making a conscious effort about not over farm products. I'm far from a, from a vegan or a hipster or anything like that. But I think if everybody made it a conscious effort to maybe not have meat in every single meal would go a really long way for conservation. Um, so having a nice vegetarian option, something like this or you know, like a pasta alla norma, something like that is really good. to. And this is I like the soup because the soup works great for a lunch or a dinner. Uh, even a snack if you just want a little bowl of it, you know, where a pasta is probably going to be more typically just a dinner meal that you do. But you can have this incorporated throughout your week. You can make a very large batch. It keeps well um, in the refrigerator, no problem. It's easy to store. You can either put it in like a big Tupperware or you can move the whole pot once it's cooled off into your fridge if you want to do that. Um, And yeah, my kids love it. My wife loves it. It's a delicious meal. In fact, I made it just a couple days ago, and we're pretty much all out of it. So, And that's it. Uh, shorter episode today. Didn't have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to get back into the swing of recording. Wanted to talk about the one-shot. Wanted to talk about Francation a little bit. Talk about the Minecraft mob books. Let me know what you guys are going to vote for. I uh, would love to hear about that. And a recipe for you guys. I'm going to try and do a recipe uh, episode. I might even next episode. Make a, a whole cooking episode. Might might just be that kind of way. So that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in again today. Another episode will be coming out soon again. Trying to get a consistent schedule going so I can promise you guys stuff a little more. A little more uh, religiously here. A little more consistently. But we're getting there slowly but surely. You guys have a wonderful day. Till next time. Peace.